0: I'm going to start this morning like I did last week with a reading from the prophet Isaiah. This is Isaiah 65, 17 through 25. Hear the word. Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his many years. He who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere youth. He who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses For others to live in them, or plant and others would eat. Because as the days of a tree, so will the days of my people be. My chosen ones will long enjoy the works of their hands. They will not toil in vain or bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf will, and the lamb will feed together. The lion will eat straw like an ox, but dust will be the serpent's food. It will neither harm nor destroy in all my holy mountain. Thus says the Lord. Amen. I'm going to do what we always do in the family Bible before we get into our, our uh, scripture for the day. I'm going to pray. We do this because we don't believe we have any wisdom apart from God. And so join me in prayer if you would. Uh, Father God, we thank you so much for this opportunity to be together in your presence presence this morning we pray that whatever we've brought in with us and all the things and there are so many things we carry on a daily basis that ultimately we would be able to set them down in a moment in your presence and hear from you lord in this uh, this most precious of days i pray that you would teach us through the power of your holy spirit the truth of your gospel that maybe we've heard it a thousand times we hear it afresh again anew or maybe we've never even believed it before and today would be the day I pray this prayer, Lord, that we would be listening to you, that you would be speaking to us, and that we would know you as our God, our Savior, and our Lord. May you do this work because only you can do it. Open our minds, open our ears, open our eyes and our hearts that we might know you and believe. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were here last week, you know we've already uh, we've been in a series for uh, starting last week, and we will be wrapping this series up next week. And it's our three-week series on Easter. We've been looking at the Gospel of Luke and the account. Chris reminded us that this morning the account of of uh, Luke's account of the suffering and death of Jesus Christ. And so if you, if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and turn to Luke 24. If you don't, you can grab one on the end of the chair rows. Actually, they're probably all over the table still, but uh, it's on page 737. So feel free to grab a Bible if you want to read along. We'd encourage you to do that. And we're just going to jump in. Actually, what we're going to do is we're going to back up a little bit off of Luke uh, 24. And we're going to back up into 23. Uh, just a bit. So we're going to pick up right where we left off last time at Luke twenty three forty four 44 through 46. You'll recall that we basically had um, unpacked the experience of the crucifixion, uh, something we don't often get to do, but we actually walked with Jesus into the moment of crucifixion. And so we're going to pick up right there where we left off last time. That's in Luke 23, 44. That's where we're going to start reading this morning. Just two verses here. It was now about the sixth hour. And darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour, because the sun had stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your spirit, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And when he said this, he breathed his last. This moment we could have shared last week, but it seemed appropriate to wait until we go through Holy Week, this kind of week of waiting for what God does, is doing on the cross. And so we have this moment here, and there's four things I want you to see that happen as Jesus dies on the cross. First of all, I want you to notice there's darkness throughout the land. In the moment of Jesus' death, the land is overcast, overshadowed. As a matter of fact, it says that the sun ceased shining. It was completely dark. I don't know if you've ever been outside on a, on a day when it's been like a, an eclipse or something where it's the middle of the day, but it's dark. It's super creepy, right? It's super weird. And so there was some sign, this was a sign to the people that there was something happening that was not normal, not a normative experience, even for crucifixion, which was brutal. But the sun had stopped shining, it says there in verse 45, and the land was darkness. So The first thing we see is darkness. The second thing we see is that the curtain in the temple was torn in two. And I'm not going to get into this whole bunch today, but you must know that the temple was the holy place of worship. And this, temp, this curtain was the, the place that divided the regular folks from the, holy of, the holy from the holy of holies, right? It was the holiest place. As a matter of fact, it's where Israel believed that God lived. That's where God was. And only the holiest of the priests could go into the holy of holies behind the curtain. But the word here says that the temple curtain was torn in two, right? And... Um, there's, a, there's the image there of, 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 the, of the kingdom being opened, of something breaking. Either God has left or God has showed up, but something has changed and the curtain has been removed. There's no more separation between people and God. And, I would, and you know, we get excited as a Christian. We say, well, that means because, you know, now the gospel is for everybody. But, you know, this is the time of darkness when the temple curtain ripped open. It was like, it was like God left. God was absent in that moment. The third thing I want you to see is that Jesus on the cross says these words, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And the word says he cried out in a loud voice. It's a mega, mega voice. It's not like he just whispered these words weakly. It's like he proclaimed them. Into your hands I commit my spirit. I'm going to send my spirit to be beside you. This is the proclamation of Jesus on the cross. The third thing we see in his death. And then the fourth, and it's kind of obvious, but it says this. Jesus breathed his last. I wanted to start there so we wouldn't miss it. We were talking last week about the chaos of crucifixion, about all the noise and the clamoring and the crowds and the people and the, the you know, crucify him and all this stuff and Simon and everyone else who's around there. And then you come to this moment where Jesus goes like, ah, and it's from chaos to silence. You can hear it in the text. There's a the holy break. We're going to skip a couple of verses now and we're going to pick up in verse 50 of chapter 23. Now, there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from Jerusalem, or he came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God. So I'm going to just talk about this Joseph of Arimathea. We hear some things about Joseph of Arimathea, but some things we ought to know. It's interesting. Um, If you came out to the Good Friday service, you heard Pastor Scott give a sermon, a really good sermon on this, who Joseph of Arimathea was, and the the profound reality of of, um, his discipleship, right? I think what Pastor Scott called him was a secret disciple of Jesus because he was a Pharisee. He was in a member of the Sanhedrin. That's when it says he was a member of the council here, a man named Joseph, a member of the council. And you'll see a couple things about him that the Bible proclaims to be true. First, that, that Joseph was a good and upright man. It means he was a good and holy man. You may recall that Joseph was one who spoke up when they were going to accuse Jesus previously in the Gospel of Luke. And he said, shouldn't we just wait and see if this is a thing of God or a thing of man? This is Joseph, I'm pretty sure, who said that. Said, said, uh, let's just wait. Don't get ahead of God. He was always a person had a voice of reason. He was, he was pursuing truth. And yet, as Pastor Scott said so well, um, it seems that he was still a Pharisee and still in the council. He maybe had been a secret disciple, much like Nicodemus, who we hear of in the Gospel of John, helping Joseph to bury Jesus. First thing we see is a good and upright man. Second, he's a member of the council. But look at what it says. Verse 51. He had not agreed to their decision and their action. In other words, he had been overruled by his own people. It would seem to me, to, you can believe, that Joseph was one who thought Jesus ought not be crucified, that he wasn't one screaming in the crowd, crucify him, crucify him. Now, it's not to make him better than he was, but it means to say that he was someone who was believing and yet could not or would not stop it. At, at least watched it happen, perhaps stood by, but he did not agree with what they had said and done. Something else we learned. He's from Arimathea, but he's waiting for the kingdom of God. Joseph, Joseph is believing God is going to do something, ultimately believing God is going to do something. Now, I'll say something else, I think, about Joseph. He's a man of action. Because remember that this is happening all on the same day. This is all still Good Friday here, and all these things are happening. And he goes to Pilate in verse 52, and he asks for Jesus' body. So you, you, you can imagine that he must have been a man of some kind of stature or... or um, Pull to be able to approach Pilate and ask for the body of Jesus. He must have cashed in some capital, right? He he must have been recognized by Pilate as someone who had some authority. That that Pilate could say, "Sure, you can take the body of Jesus." Other gospels uh, flesh this out a bit more, but you can see even here that he had approached him. He's a man of action, and he asked to take the body down. Then in verse fifty-three, a man of action, he took Jesus's body down. And I want you to hear the word he took the body down. It says it there. He took the body of Jesus down, not Jesus, and he wrapped the body in a linen cloth and he placed the body cut into a rock, in a tomb cut into a rock in which no one had ever been laid. So this is Joseph, a man of action. He does these things. Uh, Again, uh, Friday, Pastor Scott was telling us that uh, that, that this is... um, Fulfillment of the scripture of the prophet Isaiah. I believe it is um, Isaiah, let me look at my notes here and find it, 53.9. And it says, he, the, the sur- suffering servant will be killed as a thief, right, but buried as a rich man. That's my paraphrase, but that's what's being said. And so you can see Joseph Arimathea, who cashed in his own capital. That's actually what I think the Gospel of John says. He took him and buried him in his own tomb. And so here's Jesus, a, pa- a pauper, a poor man, being buried in a rich man's tomb, a tomb that no one had laid in yet because it was the practice at the time that you would reuse a tomb. But this was a brand new tomb, had never been used, his own tomb. As a matter of fact, if you travel to the Holy Land, you can still see this at the Church of the Holy Sepulcher. These two locations are so close, they're inside the same building, and you can walk from one to the other. I've not done it, I would love to do it. But you can go from one to the other, the place where Jesus uh, was crucified to the place where he was buried and, and raised from the dead. So we have this gospel witness, this faithful man of God who is believing that the kingdom of God is coming and and who is hurrying, hurrying along. Why is he hurrying? Look at verse 54. Because it was preparation day and the Sabbath was about to begin. It was a day of getting ready. Um, I don't know if you've ever felt you had a long day before, but I bet you this felt like a long day to the disciples, right? The day that Jesus was accused, was crucified, had died, and then uh joseph had hurriedly buried jesus i think the timeline is laid out is he had about three hours before sundown um sabbath runs from sundown to sundown right so it'd be 6 p.m on a friday to 6 p.m on this is about but 6 p.m on a friday to 6 p.m on a saturday or dusk on friday to dusk on a saturday you would have to rest all that time from friday evening until um saturday evening you could do no work and that meant that if 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 those two things going to happen, either Jesus is going to hang on the cross through the entire Sabbath, which would be just unthinkable for Joseph and the disciples, or that that he would be hurriedly buried into a tomb, and that's what happened. He hurriedly buried him in a tomb, a brand new one. And so the day of preparation is coming. I want to mention one more thing about the day of preparation. Normally what you do when you're a Jew on the day of preparation is you get ready for all the things that you can't do on the Sabbath. So if you want to eat on the Sabbath, you have to prepare the food on the day of preparation. If you want to do anything, you can't work on the Sabbath. And so they had to pre-do all this. And so basically, I'm sure, based on the gospel witness, that they had, they had, done, they had done nothing to get ready themselves for Sabbath, but just watch Jesus die. They had done nothing to get ready for the day that they had. could do nothing else. But just watch Jesus die. But Joseph buried Jesus' body. It says here in verse 56, they, um, they went home then. I'm going to back up 55. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid there. So they, they witnessed this. Then they went home and they prepared spices and perfumes. Here's the key. But they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment i mean despite everything else that's happening everything else that they've been going through they're going to believe god they're going to continue to believe god and they're going to rest they're not going to be sabbath breakers they're not going to work they're not going to go you know be frantic they're just going to just wait they're going to stop it must have been the most excruciating and quiet and painful 24 hours of I- anyone's life it must have been the most difficult sabbath ever can you imagine how exhausted they were can you imagine how confused they were perhaps slightly relieved because Jesus is not on the cross anymore, but knowing that when Sabbath is over, the first work they have to do is go to the tomb and grieve. They couldn't even grieve Jesus. So they waited this day of Sabbath rest. And then this is all required for the background to today. Because just like us, the word says in verse, chapter 24, verse 1 now, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they prepared before the Sabbath, and they went to the tomb. You can think about like now. Wait, I thought Sabbath was like sun down to sundown. Yeah, it was, but they're not going to do this at the They're going to wait. Till, they're going to wait till the. But the funny thing about the text is it says it's super early at sunrise. See, we think about sunrise being early, but I get the sense from this that they're up before the sunrise heading to the tomb in the dark, hoping by the time they get there, there's some light. They just, they're just want to be the first thing in the morning because they could, they could get up and move through the night, but they were going to go first thing in the morning, very early, probably through the wee hours of the night, which gives you some sense of their disposition that they were so eager to go and to grieve, to go and to anoint his body with spices to go into just give thanks to God for this rabbi that they had, this teacher they had, this one that was so different that they had, the one that they had seen, uh, they witnessed, suffer so much. They had been following a long time. and So they had taken everything they got, and they took it to the tomb. And then verse 2 reads so nonchalantly, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the lord jesus i'm amazed at a couple of reasons here man first of all hero status for these women they're going to show up at a gravesite first thing in the morning by themselves and they're just going to deal with it we you know as a culture a lot of times we just avoid suffering we don't like to think about bad stuff i even kind of apologize for starting off this morning talking about our brothers and sisters in sri lanka because you don't want to deal with that stuff right But here they go right into the place of death, to the place of suffering, and they're entering in to worship God and to anoint the body of Jesus. But when they get there, the grave is open and the body's gone. They couldn't find him. So they're wondering what this means. And I think it's too much to read back into the text. Well, they should know what it means because they don't know what it means, clearly. They're completely confused by this. And as they're standing around, this is what the word says in verse 4. Suddenly, two men... In clothes that gleamed like lightning, stood beside them. the uh, the, the, the text reads like this: uh, Two men in dazzling garments <laughs> stood beside them. Uh, the idea is that it was uh, like lightning in their face, like like uh, flashes. It was o- overwhelming, and, and, and I can't help but think. First of all, it's early in the morning. And secondly, they're inside a tomb, that they would just be the response would just be uh, overwhelming to have that encounter, this resurrection day. These two men who were in dazzling or flashing garments stood before them. I wonder, have you ever, you know, some experience we can get, that might, might get close to this, right? Have you ever looked right at lightning at a close distance? Probably not, right? We usually see it pretty far off. But still, even far off, you're like, wow, right? Woo! And then you wait for the thunder to come. Anybody do that? I do that. I think it's cool. Uh, I was like, "Wow, that's awesome!" Or, um, "Or how about this one? Do you ever, uh, do you ever get the flash in the face? You know, you pull out and like, okay, take a picture, and you're not, and then it's like, ah! Yeah. And then afterwards, you got that dot floating around. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, or, uh, oh, here's another thing: y- you go to the concert, and they got the stage lights, and the people in the band like, and then all of a sudden, it's like, and they just blast you in the eyes. Y'all don't go to concerts, do you? No, that's what happens, right? And you're like, I can't say anything. I love these people. You know, and you clap for them. I think this is like thousands of times that. I mean, the description that they give, they would have no context to give that kind of description. I think, you know, two, two men dressed in white. Like, ooh, that's a nice white, white outfit you have there. No, it was like, wah, you know? Like it was like overwhelming to their senses what's happening. As a matter of fact, you can kind of see that in their response. It says, in their fright, in verse 5, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. They're like, whoa, what's happening? And they bowed down with their faces to the ground, and the men ask a question. Why do you look for the living among the dead? See, that's the first hint we get of resurrection, people. Up to that point, they have an empty grave. Up to that point, they have a whole bunch of confusion and wonderment. And then finally, when they're overwhelmed with what's happening, they don't, they don't understand the, the absence of the body. They don't understand the empty tomb. And then they don't understand these dazzling clothes. <laughs> and they're down on their faces. The first question asked of these ladies is, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. That's what the word says in verse 6. He is not here. He is risen. Remember what he told you. You're like, wow, what? Have you ever forgot something really important that somebody has told you? Like, have you ever had that moment where you're like, ah, I can't think of it. They told me that thing. If Jesus has been teaching you for like three years and he told you he was going to die and be raised, you think you forget that? How about this? Have you ever had God tell you something. Like, and that's a weird thing to say, right? But like in some deep part, like you just get this assurance from God, like something, and then you forget, and you're like, what was that? What was that thing? It seems to me that's the experience of these ladies in the empty tomb. It says, why do you look for the living among the dead? Um, he's not here, and then here's the word, what it says, he has risen, or he has been raised, or he is raised which is minutia, but it's different. He's woken up. He's gotten up. He's not here. You'll see if you, we read through here, we don't, we don't even see Jesus interact with them in the passage in Luke. Do you remember what he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? Do you remember what's been said about the woman? The woman followed him from Galilee. They've been falling from Galilee this whole time. They've been watching from a distance to see what's happening. They've been grieving, beating their breasts, you know, just wrung out from this. Don't you remember? And then listen to the kindness. The men repeat the words. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men. The Son of Man must be crucified. And the Son of Man, man must be raised on the third day, raised to life. Like Jesus told you this ahead of time this was going to happen. This resurrection thing. And what you are now witnessing is proof of the resurrection. It's proof of the fact that what he said is true. And then look at verse 8. Praise the Lord. It says, then they remembered his words. He did. I forgot he said that. (laughs) That's kind of funny to me if they forget that. But that that they remembered that. How exciting must it have been for them in that moment? He's not dead. He's alive. Right? We were at the early service this morning talking about this idea that resurrection is a crazy thing to talk about, but that's what Easter's all about. Resurrection from the dead. That, that that's what Jesus did and that's what Jesus will do. That, these, that what we see in Christ is the same thing we will experience ourselves. And so it says that he, he's not here. He's alive. And uh, they remembered his words. Well, they were so excited. You can't, I mean, can you imagine how excited they were, right? So what do they do? They're like, we got to tell everybody else, you know, like they know now the, the secret. We got to tell everybody else because they've been waiting, you know, all Sabbath for this. And, uh, and so they're going to go back in verse 9. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11. That's uh, 11 meaning the apostles, right? And to all the others. And here's the list. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. So they came back and they're super excited, they're like, you're not gonna believe what happened. They tell them a story. These two guys showed up, they were like, Woo! And these I fell down and they said, Why are you looking living among the dead? And then don't you remember what Jesus said? He's not here, he's alive. Good news. Don't you think? That's good news. Yeah? Verse eleven. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed like foolishness. Right? Now, I know we can turn into whole like don't believe women thing. Now you know what I'm talking about this morning. But listen, I think no matter who to come back, you be like, you're out of your mind. You're out of your mind. Matter of fact, spend some time today talking to somebody. Like, hey, happy Easter, happy Easter, yeah. Um, he, Jesus is raised from the dead. People are like, yeah, okay. We, we believe in resurrection. Okay. That's exactly what happened. This one that was crucified and died was raised to new life. And I wonder, how easy is it to believe someone else's story? I mean, seriously, church, how easy is it for you to believe what someone else experienced? Here's someone tell you a great story. Like, that's a great story. Not sure I believe it, but great story. Appreciate it. Seems like foolishness to me. You wait till they leave and you say to your, your uh, friends, or your spouse, or, or your, your uh, boyfriend or girlfriend, you say, uh, I think they're crazy. <laughs> After they leave, it's not easy at all. And yet, here's the question. Is Jesus worth looking into anyway? Is it worth looking into the call, the, the, the claims of Christ for yourself anyway? Not to make someone else happy, not to agree with somebody else. Matter of fact, you may not even like the people who believe in Jesus, but to look for yourself to see if you're missing it, if you're missing the resurrection. I ask the question because we have one final story here, and it's this: Peter, in verse 12, despite them saying it sounds like foolishness, verse 12 says this: Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb bending over he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves and then he went away wondering what had happened peter got up and looked for himself right not taking their word for it not believing it in faith as a matter of fact you may recall the story from the gospel of john where jesus shows up post-resurrection in a room with the disciples and everyone's like oh he's here it's so awesome and one dude gets back and he didn't he missed it name's thomas everyone's like, Thomas, you're not going to believe it. And he's like, yeah, you're right, I'm not going to believe it because I didn't see it. And we pick on Thomas, and yet God shows up for Thomas. See, the truth is that no matter where you are, Jesus is willing to make himself known to you. It's a scary concept. I get it. But this Jesus who's died and raised to new life is available to make himself known to you. No matter who you are, no matter what you believe, he's available. My encouragement to you this morning is this, uh, look for yourself. Don't take somebody's word for it. Look for yourself. You get to that place where you want to know God, and you say, God, I want to know you. I, don't, I, don't, I, I, want, to, I want to hear from you. I'd encourage you to do that several ways. First, you can pray. There's no special gift in prayer. You can just talk to God. He's always listening. No matter how awesome or terrible your life is, God is available to you, and you can just have a conversation. And You don't have to have some, you know, Hocus-pocus conversation. You can just be like, God, what's going on with this? Our simple prayers. Jesus, help me. God, forgive me. These prayers are heard by our Lord. Second thing you can do is read Scripture for yourself. I tell you every Sunday, don't take my word for it. Look at the Bible. I cannot believe how people don't look at Bibles to see for themselves. They just take people. I could say crazy stuff. You'd be like, yeah, amen, amen. It may not be true, though, unless it's in the Bible. Look at the Bible for yourself. And the third thing you can do is to get around people who do. Listen. Get around people who do believe, but you don't have to agree with them. But just hang around them. Hey, disagree with them. That'll be fun. Let's have a conversation. Because this God we are speaking of is raised from the dead. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the gospel of Jesus Christ and the truth that is too much to comprehend of our own ability. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to worship you this morning. And uh, we pray that we would have an awareness of your availability that no matter where we are, what we've gone through, um, who we are, how good or bad we think we are, that you are a God who makes yourself available to us. <laughs> and Father, only you can do that. But we ask for it. May we know you more this Easter. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite Dale Compton to come up this
1: morning. All right. This morning, I've, I was told, heard about this many years ago, but they said if it rains on Easter Sunday, we got seven. Sundays of rain. Thank God for the sunshine. (laughs) I'm tired of getting stuck more grass. Anyway, the story of Passover. We can start finding all the the feast. There's seven feasts. We can find these in Exodus. starting in Exodus 12. And uh, there's seven feasts of Passover. But these these feasts are their stories that are told. That they are uh, times that they rehearsed over and over and over again throughout the years and they all point toward Jesus and as Mm -hmm. we look at these and study these what we want to do is look at similarities that are in these feasts there's a lot of stuff Bill mentioned uh, Joseph okay at his birth there's a Joseph at his death there's a Joseph at his birth there's a King Herod at his death there's a King Herod so there's there's similarities uh, we want to look at types and shadows. We want to look at the lamb. Okay? The lamb is a picture of Jesus. So start looking at the, the similarities that are in these feasts that will have, you know, you can, you can relate to Jesus. And so all along, uh, so you can, you can read about the lamb, what's happening to the lamb. You can see Jesus in the lamb because what happened to him happened to the lamb. So through the similarities, you can see all this in all the feasts. And there's a, a seven feast, and feast. When we look at feast, we think of food. You know, we're going to eat. It's a big feast. We're going to have. A, we're going to feast. You know, but actually, in the uh, the Jewish faith, feast is actually moed, which means an appointed time. God said, "I'm going to fix an appointed time. These times are fixed, and each feast is a time." That God said, I want to meet with you. I want to meet with my people. So he said these times. So, and the three times out of the year, um, or out of these feasts, they are to go to Jerusalem. Everybody goes to Jerusalem, and they celebrate all together. We have uh, springtime. We have the feast of Passover, which we're doing, uh, celebrating today. Uh, Unleavened bread and first fruits. Uh, those are usually around the harvest. This, or not harvest, they're usually around the planting season. Uh, then 50 days later we have the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost. And then we have the Fall Feast, which is Trump, uh, Trumpets, the Feast of, uh, Day of Atonement, and Tabernacles. Uh, and these feasts are, these all are appointed times. They are fixed that, like I said, they were fixed times that we are to meet with the Jewish people, but we celebrate them too, so. But like I said, you can see the shadow of all this, you can see Jesus, the Messiah, is in all these feasts. The first, uh, the first three feasts, which is um, the feast of Passover, um, Jesus fulfilled these. When Jesus was on the cross, he died. He was a sacrificial lamb, Passover. When Jesus was um, buried and put in a tomb, he was our sinless body, unleavened bread. When he rose uh, rose again on the third day, he was our first fruits. Uh, so if you look at it, Jesus fulfilled those three feasts. Then 50 days later, Jesus said, "I have to go," and then what happens? In the Holy Spirit came, feast of Pentecost. So the first four feasts have been fulfilled, and we're looking to the fall feast, which the fall feasts are uh, the feast feast of trumpets, which is the picture of of uh, the rapture of the church. Uh, it says in Thessalonians, it talks about uh, at the last trumpet sound, the dead in Christ will rise. That's a picture of, the, of the, the Feast of Trumpets. The Day of Atonement, the Tribulation period, and Tabernacles is the millennial period of a thousand years when uh, Jesus will rule the, day, the times of rest. So uh, those are the three feasts that are, have yet to be fulfilled. Passover is a time of, uh, to remember God um, when God made uh, the Jewish people free. Uh, the story, like I said, the story was told over and over and over again, and uh, this night was unlike any other night. This was a night that they that they killed the uh, the lamb, and they took the blood, threw it on the doorpost. I will pass over you. That's how we get Passover. When he sees the blood, he passed over them, and and their firstborn lived. Um, the The meal they celebrate, they do this, like I said, every year. They celebrate the meal which is called the Seder meal and uh, the Jewish people what they do is uh, they have all different everything symbols is a symbol of, of something so when they tell the story they will tell a story of each each part on the plate um, the parsley right there is, uh, is signs for spring and new beginnings the bitter herbs the pain of Egypt the bitterness of pain and sin and sorrow. Horseradish, horseradish means um, they, they would grind it up and it would look like martyr for the, the time that they spent in uh, bondage making bricks and so it shows for labor, uh, labor as being a slave. The salt water, they would take the salt, the salt water, they dip the herbs into the salt water and then they would eat, eat it from there and that would represent uh, the tears of bondage. The roasted egg, uh, new life. We're we're coming in, into new life. Uh, the shank bone uh, that was a lamb, which represented the, the Passover lamb, the sacrifice, and then the matzah bread they would use, would, would represent um, it would represent uh, sin, sinless, because they wouldn't have any leaven. Leaven in the bread was was known as uh, sin, so they they would uh, celebrate the matzah bread. We also have four cups. These four cups, um, wait a minute here. These four cups were, um, they all have names, they all have meanings. Like I said, everything has meaning to tell the story. Everything has meaning with it. These first were found in uh, Exodus 6. Um, and it's, this chapter is known as the I will do chapter. And we can read the verses 6 and 7, which each one of these are mentioned and um the mention that uh that appears it tells that moses said god told moses that watch sit back and watch how i deliver you so all the the, these will represent with the names and stuff but moses said god told moses sit back i will take care of my people the four cups names are sanctification praise redemption and acceptance. Okay, uh, the two that I, I know that some of the studies that I found that were never changed was was the the accept or uh, the redemption is always redemption, and sanctification was always sanctification. The other two, this one here, was a lifetime was known as the cup of praise, is also known as the cup of judgment, and then this one here, the cup of acceptance, was also uh, Elijah's cup. When they when they drink it, they fill it back up for Elijah. Elijah's coming back again. That's what uh, I was always wondering why they would say when Jesus was on the cross, is that Elijah? Okay, well, because they're looking for Elijah to come back. He's coming back again in the tribulation period as one of the witnesses, uh, but they would fill the fill this cup up all the way to the brim to go to the door and look for Elijah is how they would celebrate that. Uh, Jesus, uh, he, Jesus celebrate this last, this, his last meal. Um, and you can find this this found in the, in the new testament the old testament was a story the new testament jesus revealed it uh when he told his story on that last his last day um the gospels only show shows us uh, a, through the story when jesus was telling it It shows us a specific time and moment when jesus took two elements he took the bread and he took the wine and he connected it into his broken body and his shed blood uh The bread and cup are the two elements we use today to remember Christ as the communion, uh, we celebrate communion together. So what Jesus did during that time, all the men that was there with him, they knew what was, they knew the story over and over again because it had been told all their life. But when Jesus took this cup, he said, this cup is my blood, the cup of redemption. And then we can, like I said, we can find that in in, uh, Exodus 6, which is, um, I'm going to read it here for you. It says, In Exodus 6, 6, and 7, Therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with the great judgments. I will take you as a people, and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, that is found in Exodus 6 and 7. 7. Um, So starting with a cup of uh, sanctification, the I will, I will bring you out of bondage into the freedom, into freedom. So sanctification is, uh, as us Christians, we believe, uh, as we celebrate this, that, that cup, We have been removed from the darkness into his kingdom of light. We've been set free from the bondage of sin. Cup number two, uh, the cup of praise. uh, In the sixth it says, I will rescue you from slavery, from the bondage of slavery. We, as Christians, we have been set free. We have been rescued from the bondage of sin. And that's that's how we can say praise God. Praise God, right? <laughs> uh, and then uh, the third cup, which is the cup of redemption, and like I said, this was the cup that Jesus took and said, "This is my blood." Okay, uh, this is the first time that during the during the meal they would take the matzah, and that's when Jesus said, "This is my body," and he breaks it, and then he passes out. So that's where he's he, during this time is when he said, this is my body where it's broken, the, the, the uh, a cup of redemption. Um, and it says, I will redeem you with outstretched arms and with acts of great judgment. Outstretched arms, picture of Jesus on the cross. Uh, see, this is the cup we take to remember the blood of Christ when he redeemed us, when he took us back and he redeemed us. So this is our redemption. And then the fourth cup, the cup of acceptance. I will be your God. We are now sons and daughters of the living God because he accepted us. These cups uh, define the Christian life. Um, The the cup, the first one here, we've been set apart from the world to be light of hope for God, the cup of sanctification. We have been set free from the world of sin to serve a living God. The cups of praise. We have been bought back uh, by the blood of the Lamb, cup of redemption, and we've been accepted by God through the saving work of His Son, the cup of acceptance. Now, this is what Jesus did during the time of His when He did the uh, the meal. Jesus was uh, this was the part that He He did. We can find this in in first corinthians because they like i said they uh, us as believers this is what we pass out for this time of uh, communion for I, re- I have received from the lord which i also delivered to you that the lord jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said take eat this is my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me the same manner he also took the cup, after saying, "This cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat eat this bread, and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes." All right. Um, once everybody gets gets their uh, Jesus also, like I said, when he you can read about this throughout the uh, uh, throughout the, the every Every gospel tells this story. Uh some are a little more detailed than others, but every gospel tells a story of of Jesus taking the breaking the bread and uh redoing the story. So every gospel does this and and that's how we as Christians as believers we take this week. We don't do the whole meal. I don't know if anybody's ever done this meal, but we don't do the whole meal. We just do the cup and the bread, which represents Jesus and his broken broken uh, body. Also the if, uh, a lot of times, there's like, like I said, the similarities. Some of the bread, uh, they would what they would do is take the bread and they would make it unleavened bread, and they would uh, without yeast be in the sins. And they would take the bread and they would bake it, and uh, or over a flame, and it even looked like you know it says by his stripes we are healed. Uh, he was pierced. The bread actually, when they make this, you can see stripes in the bread because of the heat from the the grates. They would poke it. Pierce it, flip it, pierce it. So even the bread has the similarity of, you know, Jesus' body. So it's kind of a kind of neat story if we if you sit back and study it and look at what's what's actually all the meanings behind everything. It really comes to life, pops to life in my eyes anyway. So I'll read this over again: the uh, institution of the Lord's Supper. For I received from the Lord, which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he betrayed, which he was depraved, he, t- he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is, is the new covenant. In my blood, this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And it says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, You proclaim the Lord's death till he comes.
0: Here's a blessing, church. May you and I praise God for the resurrection of Christ Jesus as he stands today, first fruit for all who believe. And the people following him say, amen.